0: Homebase Nation is the official podcast of Homebase Program for Veterans and Military Families, a partnership of the Red Sox Foundation and the Massachusetts General Hospital. Welcome back to Homebase Nation. This is Ron Hirschberg, your host. I'm really excited and honored to introduce my next guest. And it's it's hard to know where to begin, actually. So I'll start with a recent award that he received at the White House just a few months ago. This is the second highest award that the head of the Department of Defense can give, and it's called the Secretary of Defense Medal for Outstanding Public Service. And this is for his work with the Red Sox Foundation in creating home base, along with our partner, Massachusetts General Hospital. Now, creativity is really a common thread to our guest's entire career. He and creative and successful teams have held honors that you may have heard of, like Emmys, Golden Globes, Um, several trophies and a title at England's Premier Football League, and four World Series championships. So yes, this can only be Tom Werner. But with all of these awards and accolades, Tom shows how much pride he has in home base, which began following a Red Sox team visit to the White House and Walter Reed Medical Center in 2008, and a conversation he had with MGH and Red Sox physician
1: Dr. Larry Ronan. They're appreciative that these baseball players have come to say hello to them, that they are not forgotten. And so Larry and I happened to be sitting on the plane back, and we just uh, said, you know, there must be something that we can do. So Tom will tell you that he has a very unique path to serving veterans and the
0: country's military families of all eras. But it doesn't surprise me that it circles back to growing up in New York City with a dad who served in World War II who experience his own
1: loss and trauma. His job eventually was to assign bombing runs of soldiers who uh, were going to be uh, bombing targets in uh, Nazi uh, Germany. He knew statistically that half of these airmen wouldn't come back. And mm-hmm. so many of the people in his units were, were really, he was assigning them to what he knew was probably their final mission. That took a huge toll on him.
0: So on this 20th anniversary of 9-11, he tells us about that day and the flight that he had been scheduled to be on leaving Boston's Logan Airport.
1: My children thought I was actually on Flight 11. They, they they thought I I had died. So of course that's a, a searing experience. You know I mean, just think about how fortunate I was that that my schedule changed. I don't know. I mean, I think about it frequently because it's obviously was one of those experiences that you know there but for the grace of God.
0: Tom began studying government, graduating Harvard in 1971. And he was intrigued by documentary work which led him to producing and developing some of the most iconic american tv shows taxi soap and mork and mindy and others and then on to creating the cosby show roseanne and other shows as well
1: 30 40 50 million people were watching these shows and i felt that you know i might be able to create or be part of shows that not only uh, were entertaining but actually you know had some value And so, uh, you know, the ride was uh, incredibly exciting. It was great to come to work every day. The shows were not always easy to make, um, but they were very um, gratifying.
0: Tom then took his creativity and passion into the sports world and became chairman of the Boston Red Sox in 2002. And then with the Fenway Sports Group, became chairman of the Liverpool Football Club in 2010. I think it's really fitting to talk with Tom Werner 20 years after a day that none of us will ever forget and a two-decade war to follow that has created trauma and stress for so many veterans and their families. And to that end, before we head into the conversation, I'm really honored to hand the microphone over to our Executive Director of Home Base, Brigadier General Jack Hammond, for his reflection on this powerful, somber, and really important time for us all.
2: Well, it's great to talk to you, Ron, and it's certainly great to have an opportunity to just kind of reflect back on uh, the 20 years since 9-11 and this amazing anniversary. As we look back towards that date, uh, it's hard not to think about the 2,977 people whose lives were taken when they were killed by this horrific attack on our nation. And then as we look at that, we, we, we think of the folks that died at the World Trade Center. But there's also uh, the other side of that coin that we always remember, and it's the heroic uh, men and women on United Flight 93 that made a decision to take down that plane before it hit the Capitol or the White House, knowing their fate. The first responders who entered and re-entered the World Trade Center, never knowing when that building would come down on them, but not caring as they tried to save other fellow Americans. Uh, and then, obviously, our, our veterans, the warriors at the Pentagon, themselves turning uh, from working in offices to becoming their own first responders, rescuing their comrades in arms. Um, that was a seminal moment in our nation's history. It transformed the way we everything happened afterwards. That was that was that pivotal moment where um, the the country shut down. In a sense, it was great because we all came together. Uh, we bonded as a nation, put everything aside, and, and we were just Americans for that day and the days that followed. For me personally, I was in command of a battalion of a 1,000 troops. We deployed within hours, securing civilian sites across Massachusetts. And then we were ordered in to secure seven U.S. airports. And then we received orders for Afghanistan. And we did that for about seven, nine months. And we received orders then to redeploy for the invasion in Iraq. And by October 2004, You know, our deployments ended for the near term, but that was fairly reflective of what our service members' lives were for the next 20 years. We've had 3 million men and women deployed to places like Iraq and Afghanistan, two generations of Americans. Uh, Our warriors have fought and finished their careers, and then their children have taken the baton and then gone back to those same places. 1.8 million service members are now veterans, have some type of permanent disability. 30,000 veterans have taken their lives just from the post-9-11 generation itself, and hundreds of thousands uh, suffer from the invisible wounds of war. So we've had a tough go. Um, but what we always want folks to remember, especially our warriors, is that they accomplished their mission. If you remember back to why we went into Iraq and Afghanistan, it was, number one, Afghanistan to prevent Al-Qaeda from ever having a staging base to operate from uh, to attack our country again. And the second was uh, to prevent another 9-11 type attack. Uh, And then the third piece to that was to avenge those killed on 9-11. And we did. And, And most notably, you know, Osama bin Laden finally found his and we demonstrated it may take time, but we will hunt you down and find you if you're an enemy of the United States and you wish to wish harm upon our people. Um, So our veterans have that to be grateful for. They also have the added benefit of knowing they liberated 50 million people. That is an unheard of number that you don't hear mentioned. Two generations of Afghan and Iraqi little boys and girls were basically provided the hope for a future, a taste of freedom and the chance to thrive. Our military and intelligence organizations are going to have to find solutions to the void and security that was just created by our departure, but we'll figure it out. The humanitarian crisis, though, is something that really bothers many of our warriors uh, because they, at the tip of the spear, not only bear the brunt of the fighting, they also get closest to the people. So what happens remains to be seen. But from our perspective, we now need to, number one, make sure we take care of the folks that worked alongside us in one way or another and then care for those who are wounded on our behalf. We have a sacred trust uh, with each one of these members of our military and their families that if they're injured in war, we'll care for them in peace and we'll watch over their families. Um, and that is what we kind of need to focus on. And that's what Home Base has now done for a decade.
0: it's great to uh it's great to be here and to to talk with you about home base but i really wanted to kind of dive in as well to what makes you tick um and how you got there
1: so i appreciate the time i'm happy to talk a little more about it uh obviously it's a program that has uh, been a very positive uh factor in what is a real challenging problem uh, mental illness uh Post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, the uh, challenges that the Veteran Administration has had dealing with this problem, the amount of people who've suffered through it. So if home base has some positive effect on a number of people, that's uh, very uh, satisfying. Yeah. You know, I was in Fenway Park a couple weeks ago. It was a
0: Phillies game. I was with my family and I looked over, I was on the, the uh, third base side and I looked over um, and I saw the banners and it was, you know, all nine, right? And uh, I couldn't help but think that this is 2021, the game came back. Yeah, we still have a lot going on in the world with the pandemic, but I was thinking back to a hundred years ago in 1917 when that was the time of the, the last pandemic and so I looked up actually when the World Series took place they played the Cubs in 2018 right and uh the I think the series was in September it was early and uh it was cut short because of the, because of the war things going on with the war of course um but I was in the park thinking about how baseball just transcends all of that
1: baseball is a uh enduring part of American life, and uh, I think that um, one of the things that, uh, bringing it back to the conversation at hand, I don't think that um, I would have been able to make much of an impact on this problem without the platform of the Red Sox. Uh, The fact that uh, the Red Sox... um, not only brought uh, the uh, imprimatur of a really positive influence in in New England to the table, but Mm. one of the challenging things about post-traumatic stress is that you're dealing with a um, population in these soldiers that are uh, reluctant to admit they've got uh, mental uh, illness. And so I thought the Red Sox could provide a uh, a service by just making it feel entirely uh, comfortable and respectable to admit you've got a problem because you can't deal with a problem if you pretend that uh, you're just tough enough and resilient enough that it doesn't uh, affect you. And, you know, when, when somebody comes home from... Uh, from either Iraq and or Afghanistan, and they can't sleep at night, and they're perhaps uh, drinking too much, or or taking drugs, or you know dealing with their their family in in ways that are uh, very uh, improper. It's very it's very difficult to sort of call yeah. and say, you know, I'd like to come in and and and. Um, seek some some uh medical help and uh, one of the things that that made the red sox a great partner for mass general is that you know we had spokesmen you know whether it's dustin pedroia or tim wakefield or players mm-hmm. who, who made you feel like it's okay to be vulnerable so uh the red sox have obviously you know played a role in in other ways in in uh the last uh, number of years. But um, this was a very important partnership. And um, from my point of view, what was important, I'm really more focused on making sure that the care is as excellent as it can be, um, Sure. not to diminish the value of the Veterans Administration. But first of all, as we know, a number of veterans don't go to VA hospitals because of one reason or another, but so they're part of a, I, I don't know whether maybe 50%, but there are a lot of veterans who who don't want to even go through that portal. So if we could create a program that not only is, um, the help is not only immediate, but innovative and also replicable, there's a lot of good being done by Homebase, but uh, I'm very proud mm-hmm. of the specific Actions that we're doing because you know we can all thank our veterans, but this is actually being much more um, beneficial. Um, I'll never forget Wakefield
0: was was pretty spot on when he mentioned that it's a way that it's a way in in the Warrior Health and Fitness to get people to work out together uh, as a cohort because they're really overseas. That's what they're doing together. That's how they heal. Yes, there's great psychologists, psychiatrists, and, and and clinicians, state of the art. But at the end of the day, I think it it is that much better because we have that model when they're all in it together. Um, and I think the socks um, really have been amazing as a force multiplier to to back it. Um, you don't just start it and then you have, but you have to walk the walk. And it's people like Becca Salwasser I talked with you know a couple months ago who was you know, really living that, of course, what the foundation has been doing. Um, when you guys visited the White House and went down to Walter Reed, you were with, uh, it was Tim Wakefield um, on the team, of course, and then it was, uh, it was Larry Ronan, Dr. Ronan, mm-hmm. that visited, the, visited Walter Reed.
1: What did you feel when you were walking through those halls? Well, you can't uh, help but feel uh, gratitude to these people who really raised their hand and just said, you know, I want to do something selfless. I want to do something for my country. And to see the uh, the pluck and the bravery that they have, most of them, I mean, they don't they're not uh, down in the dumps. They're, they're in and many of them feel like, you know, if they had to do it again, they'd do it again. And um, so you you walk around you see these people who are amputees or you see these people who um have real uh, challenges that you know multiple operations you know 23 operations and they're appreciative that these baseball players have come to say hello to them that they that they uh are not forgotten and so I I don't know how anybody can go through that experience and not say what is there anything I can do to make their lives better or to make their uh, friends and teammates and fellow soldiers better. And so, you know, R- Larry and I happened to be sitting on the plane back and we just uh, said, you know, there must be something that we can do. And and I guess what what I was reflecting on when when I was at Walter Reed besides is watching the interaction between the players and and the um, patients was the, the when I was talking to one of the administrators at uh, at the hospital and and she said how many people were coming back from mm. Iraq with these problems cuz I I had no idea that it was affecting as much as 40 to 50% of the people coming back and that you know she said they were just overwhelmed by the problem and they didn't feel that they were attacking it well enough and you know now we know that um soldiers veterans were committing suicide every oh, yeah. day
0: there's there's traumatic stress that lasts for years
1: yeah. and to you but, know to a degree a smaller degree i think that the the research that uh, home base has been doing and the, you know i know that home base played a a role in healing the people who uh, were victims of the marathon day bombing you know PTSD has been suffered by healthcare workers who have had to deal with um with watching all these patients who uh, have died during covid so there's been a lot of of uh, value beyond the the military people that the program is serving
0: your dad was a veteran mhm
1: henry Henry Werner. Yeah. yeah okay.
0: Um, where did he serve?
1: He uh, volunteered. Um, he had graduated from uh, Dartmouth and NYU uh, Law School, and um, he he uh, joined as a uh, person who was actually in the OSS, which mm-hmm. you know is a precursor to the CIA. Uh, he uh, served in England and his job eventually was to assign uh, the uh, bombing runs of soldiers who uh, were going to be uh, bombing targets in uh, Nazi uh, Germany. Hmm. So he would meet with 20 soldiers, 20 airmen every day, and say, you know, Ron, you're going to go to Dresden, and Tom you're going to go to Berlin and Paul you're going to drop bombs in in, uh, some other city and he knew statistically that half of these uh, airmen wouldn't come back and Mm -hmm. so that was just the way it was you know we were fighting a war we were fighting the very capable uh, German Luftwaffe and uh, many of the People in his units were were really he was assigning them to what he knew was probably their final mission, that took a huge toll on him. He never really talked about it after the war. I was born in 1950. I think he he served till 1944. I think. But um, how'd you know it took a toll on him? Just because he was a very uh, quiet. Uh, father who really, I think like many of the people who served during World War II, preferred to not really be particularly uh, eloquent about it. So I didn't really know too much about his, um, his assignments. I knew a little bit about what mm-hmm. he did, but um, I had the privilege of, of talking to a number of administrators in the Veterans Administration during uh, when uh, President Obama was president, they asked me to speak about leadership and about Red Sox and all that. Mm. And the uh, secretary of the VA had done some research. He'd gone into a vault in St. Louis and had found some of my father's records. And so I learned a little bit more about the various campaigns that he was involved with um, that I hadn't known when he was alive. Wow.
0: When you think about legacy of... In sense, you're a in your military family. So kind of full circle, Red Sox win the World Series in 2007, Walter Reed, conversation with Dr. Ronan and others, let's start this. Incredible seed was planted that's, you know, since then we've seen 25,000 veterans. Uh, we're in every, you know, every state in the country. We're international as well. So when you look at that legacy of your dad and, and growing up, would you ever imagine that you'd be in this space where you're sort of giving back to the veteran community?
1: I um, had a very uh, uh, turbulent college experience. I went to Harvard and graduated in 1971, and two of those four years uh, we were... um, protesting against the war in Vietnam. We shut the university down, actually, two of the four years. One of them had to do with uh, uh, when Nixon bombed uh, Cambodia. And there was a lot of, I marched on Washington against the war in Vietnam. I, I don't know what would have happened if, if I had been um, drafted, because uh, fortunately, uh, my senior year, The draft went to a lottery system, so it wasn't a compulsory draft. But um, Mm -hmm. my uh, roundabout (laughs) experience with the military um, wasn't exactly, you know, a clear path. You know, I'm very fortunate, uh, you know, the home base program has been honored, and I received a a singular accommodation from... um, uh, the army and then one from uh the de, the defense department uh, I was in Washington with um, the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff and I'm very proud of that but um just recently in April in April but um it it you know is is somewhat circuitous because you say I've come from a military family but um I've always wanted to give back but I wasn't sure that this intersection was meant to be when i was in college sure
0: but it 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 to me there's an element that's not surprising if you really kind of draw the arc all the way back um to what your family has given you know for service and uh so after college speaking of college entertainment so what'd you graduate with at harvard my my major? Yeah. Was in government. Government. Um so you went into entertainment and you know, as a seventies kid, is I I was born in seventy one, so you know, I'm fifty now. Uh those shows, um, Mork and Mindy, um, Taxi and Soap, those are a little bit before me. Um I bring that up because you know you have to be a creative person to do all of this. You know, it may not be that straight line towards philanthropy and, and help back to the veterans, but you gotta you gotta have creativity. So, um, what what drew you into entertainment?
1: I was I uh, I worked at uh, well first of all I made some documentaries uh, when I was just graduated from college. I made a documentary about. Um, Shirley Chisholm, who was the first uh, black woman to run for president. And mm-hmm. I embedded myself in her life and in her campaign. And that, so I was like her videographer for six months. So that, I mean, I was, I was interested in, in entertainment. Um, in those days, there were only three networks. And um, I thought that it would be interesting to, to become involved in mainstream uh, television because, you know, 30, 40, 50 million people were watching these shows. And I felt that, that, you know, I might be able to create or be part of, of shows that not only, uh, were entertaining, but actually, you know, had some, some value. Mm -hmm. Uh, Taxi, for example, is a show that probably wasn't as popular as, as, um, you know, the, highest rated shows but it was a really well written ensemble show with some great actors so um it was exciting to be at abc at a at a point where when i first was involved in in the entertainment division they were the last of three networks and to create programming that was very popular and uh eventually uh I left ABC because I felt like maybe I could develop some programs that I could uh, own the copyright to mm-hmm. as opposed to just be a, a uh, an executive. And so my partner and I left ABC, and um, within a year, I think we had uh, produced a pilot for uh, The Cosby Show, which you know, we can another time talk about um, what happened another? To, to Bill but during that period the show i think had enormous impact on um how people saw people of color uh, how people saw uh professionals who uh, were uh you know able to not just be great moms but be great uh, uh people who who could work and juggle home life and The show obviously had an enormous impact. 60, 70 million people watched it every week. And so, uh, you know, the ride was, uh, you know, incredibly exciting. It was great to come to work every day. And uh, we made another show, which was a spinoff, A Different World, which I think was very helpful in in raising awareness about historic black colleges. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the third show, Marcy and I did... uh, was Roseanne, which was, again, another show about a working-class family that, um, you know, we're we're juggling things from paycheck to paycheck. So the shows were not always easy to make, um, but they were very um, gratifying.
0: Well, I would imagine well before the days of even the Internet, but, well, uh, Netflix, where you have thousands of shows, but if you only have three networks and you – your hand is forced to really find the cream of the crop messages and so you, you know it could be many things but so you as a producer and others i would imagine needed to sift through what would what would give that impact um and obviously it worked it was very successful um turning the page into baseball i know there's a there's a history here Um uh, since the '90s with the Padres, right, and then into uh, into the Sox, of course, in 2002. Um, when you think about that creativity, how does that translate that th-
1: that thread? How does that translate into running the baseball organization? Well, I think in a, in a very uh, simplistic way, if you do something very well, you'll uh See uh, benefits from it. Um, so, you know, you could run a baseball team well. Or you could run it poorly. Um, when we, uh, when I was at the Padres, um, you—if you look back on it from you read the San Diego Union—you'd think that uh, perhaps you know I was not the greatest owner. But I was on the executive council, and because of my uh, experience in media, one of the things that I did was. I advocated for the wild card um, structure, which allowed more teams to participate in postseason. Which you know that in the end, that was how the Red Sox won the World Series in two thousand and four <laughs> through the wild card. And I have always been interested in not just uh, the status quo, but improving things. So at the moment, for example, I'm on a committee in baseball that is trying to. Um, Make some rule changes that Im- increase the pace of play. That you know these games are too long. Um, more action between uh, innings. You know, right. innings, yeah. so that you know it's not just home runs and strikeouts. So I'm still involved in in not just sort of letting things play out the way they are, but trying to to make adjustments and improvements. Um, not to know, mention a pandemic, which is of course you have to have some
0: ability to. Pivot and mavi- shift navigate. and all that.
1: Yeah, um, And, yeah. you know, Larry uh, Lucchino and John Henry and I are probably going to be uh, lauded at some point because we brought multiple World Series to Boston. But you could say that I'm equally proud of the fact that we were the only group that wanted to keep uh, the Red Sox at Fenway Park.
0: Mm.
1: And when we made our bid in 2002... I think we were the only group that that wanted to preserve Fenway. Now, our our point of view wasn't just leave it as is because there were a lot of problems, but try to work within the the framework of, of that footprint and improve the fan experience. You know, one of the first things that we did was we built um, seats above the Green Monster so that a home run—it was not only a great place to watch a game, but— there was something not particularly satisfying when you saw a ball go into a net so we we saw a path towards not just preserving but enhancing the experience at fenway and i think that um i'm as proud about that as i am about the the world series huh w- were you part of the decision to bring in concerts yeah well part of our our uh whole philosophy about uh running a, a ball club is to try to increase revenue because the more you can increase revenue, the more you can plow it back into building uh, a better ballpark or, or paying for a, yeah. a, a, a high payroll. We've always outpunched our weight in terms of our our uh, size in, in, in comparison to New York or Los Angeles or Chicago. We've always been one of the highest... Um, Payrolls uh, in in baseball, and we do that because we've got an excellent p- uh, team that not only uh, is thinking about the eighty-one dates that uh, we sell out or try to sell out at home, but yeah. you know this week, for example, the team's out of town. And I think we've got four or five concerts. Well, as you know, we're building a um, music hall behind Center Field that's yeah. uh, going to be an indoor music venue that. Hopefully, we'll have uh, people coming, I, I, you know, our partners Live Nation, and hopefully they can sell out uh, these uh, concerts 150, 160 times a year. So mm. we're going to have people coming into Fenway at least uh, between the concerts and the ballpark, you know, perhaps, you know, two-thirds of the year. Mm. And, of course,
0: we have the run-to-home base coming up. You are able to be there? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, wonderful. Yeah. Um, So we know that since the inception of Home Base, like I said, 25,000 veterans have come through this this program. And as you know, it initially was geared towards the post-9-11 veteran. Now we open up a few years back to all eras. Um, And there's that signature uh, injury, the invisible wound, that, that actually was way back to before World War II it's it's always been called something different um but anyway as you know it's been about the post 9/11 vet and when it comes to 9/11 I know that you um uh, you have an interesting story to tell um and to me I can't it, I can't help but think about that um for everything you've done for our post 9/11 veterans
1: well I was uh, negotiating uh With uh, John Harrington on the uh, 9th and 10th of September in 2001 Mm -hmm. and um, I had a uh, ticket my family is living in Los Angeles I had a ticket on the American Airlines flight uh, flight 11 on the 11th uh, leaving from Logan at at uh, 8 a.m. and um, Our negotiating session with the Red Sox ended on uh, the day before, on Monday, around noon. And so I had nothing to do in in Boston. And um, I uh, was dating uh, Katie Couric at the time, who was uh, one of the anchors of the Today Show. And she was in Virginia. And I called her up and I said, uh, you know, my negotiating session has ended early um i know you're in virginia but if you're open to it i'll meet you in new york city tonight and you can fly back to new york from washington and i'll fly back i'll fly into LaGuardia, and let's have dinner together and then i'll fly out to la as i was supposed to on uh, tuesday from jfk rather than logan so she was amenable to that i had um Nice evening with her, and then got up early and went to Kennedy Airport. And uh, Actually, I remember because uh, my flight, which was the first flight out on American on Tuesday, flew over the World Trade Center. It was a beautiful day, mm. and I was looking out the window, and I saw the World Trade Center as we were uh, wow. flying to L.A. And then you know, I was oblivious to what was happening uh, in New York City, after we took off, and um, somewhere around, uh, I don't know, 11 o'clock that morning, uh, we are f- flying across the country. The, the pilot says that um, there's been a uh, system-wide directive to land at the nearest airport. He says there's nothing wrong with our aircraft, but um, we have to uh, find the nearest airport to land. And so we landed in Kansas City, and when I uh, landed, you know. We all had those those flip phones. I had like seven messages from Katie. My children thought I was actually on Flight Eleven because I had not told them I was had changed my itinerary, so they they thought I was on that terrible flight for a while, for a couple of hours. Oh. So I mean, <laughs> Jeez. they 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 thought I I had died. Oh. so you know. <laughs> Of course, that's a, a searing experience. You know, I mean, just think about how fortunate I was that that my schedule changed, and um, you know, obviously, I wouldn't be talking to you if if uh, if I had negotiated longer that day. It would have, you know, if the negotiating session had ended at five, I would have just, you know, been in uh, in a hotel on Monday night and flown to L.A. Tuesday morning. So um, I don't know. I mean. I think about it frequently because it's obviously was one of those experiences that, you know, there but for the grace of God. Yeah.
0: And this is 20 years.
1: And, you know, I obviously, I, when I was in Washington and I got that, that nice award, uh, we often forget the the flight that, uh, that crashed into the Pentagon, and I mm. think almost 100 people died there you know we we remember the flights that that went into the World Trade Center, but you know there was also the flight that that crashed into the Pentagon, and so you know that's that's obviously a connection because those those souls have been lost
0: have you ever connected with people that had a similar story to you
1: um and you know were we, supposed to be on the flight yeah occasionally yeah. um and, you know, like anybody, you know, whether or not they were part of a military family or not, you know, one of the things that makes me most uh, angry is the loss of innocent life. Um, you know, I studied history, and, um, you know, there's always terrorists and there's always uh, revolutionaries. But uh, when, when you, you know, you kill innocent people, it's, it's, it's disgusting. Mm. And, um, I don't, I, I don't know what it is that, you know, that, that Muhammad atta you know, the fact that, you mm. know, they could get on a plane and, and take it over and crash in the World Trade Center. I, you know, the venom that I feel towards those people is is hard to articulate.
0: Well, right. I mean, you know, when you said that, I, I think of George W. Bush with that, with that, uh, meg- megaphone and, uh, what he said in the streets and, it doesn't matter what side you are politically, I mean, just to have that image I think speaks to that that venom and that just that chaos of of the moment and just obviously it was a shock, but it but it really was um something that has affected all of us, obviously. And so thank you for telling me that story. Um you know, when you're in the halls of Walter Reed in two thousand and seven, um it kind of makes sense to me that you have given back in that way
1: mm-hmm. yeah you know again we all watched the events on january 6th and to think that you know somebody with an american flag would try to break into the capital i mean what is going on with our world that uh, that those people are, are not uh, prosecuted in some way
0: yeah uh even really gracious with your time tom um Thoughts about where we are with home base um, with these two parents at Mass General Hospital, the Boston Red Sox. We've come a cert- you know we've come what 11 years, we've done a lot. We have the two-week intensive clinical program. There's research going on. What's the next chapter? What's the future hold in your mind for home base?
1: Well, what's, what <laughs> I'm focused on right now. Terms of, of you know getting my blood boiling is to hope that the federal government does their share. Um, this has been a program that has been really funded by the generosity of, of, of private people and private companies. And one of the things that um, I uh, I worry about is if these uh, soldiers. Uh, are not supported. You know it's a very expensive program, and um, we need more funding. And you know everybody wants funding from the government, but I don't know how you can't support people who selflessly volunteered their services and have gone to foreign places, and they come back and and they, and what what makes me frustrated is that, you know, each year we, we have to start from scratch again. And, you know, it's, it's tough to ask the same people to uh, support the program mm-hmm. every year, and at some point they get tired. And so where's the government? <laughs> so, so, you know, while the good doctors and clinicians and, and researchers are doing their job, it's, it's my hope that, uh, you know, the, the government will do its job, and that's what I'm focused on.
0: Hmm.
1: That public-private Yeah, we're happy to make conversation. it public-private, but how about the public? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We say it all the time, but, you
0: know, you got to walk the walk. Yeah. Um, thank you, Tom. All right, well, thanks, Ron. Yeah. Thank you, Tom Werner, for your service, for all those who've served, and for planting that seed for home base that's really continued to grow and help so many veterans and families for the past 12 years. Thank you and the Red Sox team so much for all your support. And may Boston and Liverpool take home many more trophies in the future. If you haven't subscribed to Home Base Nation, please do. And for Red Sox fans, we have three other episodes for you to check out. First, with U.S. Air Force veteran and Red Sox athletic performance coordinator, Mike Roos. Second, the executive director of the Red Sox Foundation, Becca Salwasser. And third, with David Ortiz and trauma surgeon at the Mass General Hospital, Army Colonel David King. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, Remember, the 12th annual Run to Home Base will be... Uh, in person and virtual at Fenway Park, um, September 25th, 2021, and uh, go to runtohomebase.org for all information on how you can help support, and every dollar goes to the care for our veterans and military families at Homebase. Thanks a lot.